0: I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zirnial. Carol, as you may know, is a nationally known gerontologist. She is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and serves as chair of the board of the National Council on Aging. And we have a good fortune of spending every week with her talking about issues that involve caregiving and caregivers. And we'll be talking in just a couple of moments, speaking of what you can do as a caregiver. We'll be talking about a great event you can get involved in next weekend at Mission County Park Pavilion. Uh, it's a chance for you to uh, participate in the Zero Prostate Cancer Run Walk. Well, And, and you're involved through the Charitable Foundation.
1: The Los Padres uh, Foundation is part of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We serve as their fiscal agent. Uh, and what's important about our, our guest Jimmy Charles is that he met a gentleman who had prostate cancer and it inspired him to write his recent song, Superman.
0: He'd been on American Idol show nine, season season nine, nine, season nine, and very involved now in uh, trying to get men to go get checked for prostate cancer. That's right. Well, while we are waiting for him to come on as we do every show, uh, we've got a few topics that you, Carol Zirnial, have plucked out of thin air. Well, not quite. You do a lot of research. What is the state of caregiving today?
1: Well, to find out about the state of caregiving, I, I didn't need to look any further than my colleague, Lynn Fris Feinberg, who is on the in the policy shop with AARP, but she has been involved in the field of family caregiving probably longer than anyone. Started out in California, helped develop the first um Caregiver Resource Center out in California helped with policy along the way. Uh, And she was recently writing about the need for caregiving policy to please speed up. Uh, We really don't have all the laws in place uh, that protect, particularly women who tend to impoverish themselves uh, when they drop out of the workforce and care for people. It's still mostly women that do that. Uh, But just looking at the 40 million people uh, who are adults. Uh, Luckily, not all of them are going to need caregivers, but an awful lot of them are. And and the caregiving in the U.S. survey that AARP was a part of uh, looked at caregiving, and 38% of family caregiving said their caregiving situation was highly stressful. And one in five had um, a high level of physical stress, and almost 20% said they were financially stressed. So we know that caregivers are reaching into their pockets, paying for medicines, paying for groceries, paying for gas, you know, just like they do for their kids. Maybe they're caring for their kids, but they're caring for their spouse or their parents. It's costing caregivers money.
0: And they do things. I remember the grant you all had applied for at the Wellman Charitable Foundation a couple of years ago, uh, where the Center for uh, Medicare Services said, oh, caregivers don't do that.
1: Yes, so and you know, and and Lynn was a, a key part of the research that showed that caregivers today are doing what nurses used to do. So we've pushed down all of this health care. Uh, nurses do what doctors used to do, and family members are doing what nurses used to do. So they're
0: doing hands-on medical care at
2: home.
1: It's it's very very difficult, and and, well, and the recent research um, that Lynn did said that. Only one in three family caregivers said that their doctor, nurse, or social worker about had even asked them about what was needed to care for their loved one. And half as many, only 16%, mm. said that a health care provider asked them what they needed to care for themselves. Wow! So we don't have enough um, clinical providers actually thinking about the caregiving situation, much less the caregiver. And so when we're, we're dealing with complex needs, um, there's a huge gap. We don't have enough caregivers. So as this election cycle, there's so much in the news. I mean, you just can't ignore the fact that we're a year away and it's already crazy in the news with all yeah. of the oh, candidates I talking. I haven't heard anybody talking about caregiving yet. Not a word. So if you're listening out there, you know, whatever side of the fence you happen to be on, pick your candidate and find out what are they saying about caregiving? How are they going to save you if you drop out of the workforce and it costs you 345000 dollars what kind of policies are gonna they gonna have in place to make sure that you're protected because you've done the job of caring for someone else
0: and haven't thrown that burden on society and
1: haven't you know you haven't put your loved one in a nursing home uh, where often it means that Medicaid or the state will mm-hmm. pick it up you know and and we all want our family members to stay at home as long as possible so we just need a little bit more support maybe some tax credits maybe some uh, some stipends, some um, more people trained in geriatrics. We need a little bit of help out there.
0: Dovetail with that, uh, the Family Leave Act, uh, Medical Leave Act, and siblings. How is that related?
1: Well, there is something that I just learned about called the Sibling Leadership Network that really looks at Siblings as caregivers, and they've been advocating for a while uh, about the need for siblings to be included. So, if you don't know, the Family Medical Leave Act, Family and Medical Leave Act allows eligible employees to take job protected, it's unpaid leave, but they get to take time off for qualified medical and family reasons. Um, and siblings have never been explicitly listed in the law. The eligible family members are parent, spouse, son, or daughter. So I didn't say anything about brothers and sisters. Um, When Clinton signed the the Leave Act in 1993, um, the act allowed 12 work weeks of unpaid leave. But what the Sibling Leadership Network has gotten is a clarification. So under the definition um, somebody who's acting in loco parentis, and I probably didn't in place either. of the parent. In place of the parents, good old Latin, and I may have massacred it. No, you but did if, a good you're, job. if you're working in place of the parent, which means you have day-to-day responsibility to care for or financially support a child, and a child can be someone who is in a child state over the age of 18, but with severe mental or physical disabilities, then a sibling, if they're paying those bills, if they're doing the day-to-day care, they are acting in place of the parents and they qualify for family medical leave.
0: So you can take time off to take them to the doctor and not get punished by your employer, even if you've used up all of your leave.
1: That's right. And it also goes for grandparents. It's the same thing. This comes from the Sibling Action Network, but grandparents who are taking care of their grandkids day to day who are paying the bills can also, if they're still working, take leave. So there's some more work to be done, but just know if you are a brother or sister Mm -hmm. caregiver that you may actually qualify to um, take some leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act.
0: That's good news.
1: It is good news.
0: If you're listening to us uh, and just joined us, uh, you're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Next up on your list, you said to me, ask me about Carolyn's cart.
1: Yes, Caroline's Cart. This came to me, a shout out to our our new intern at the WellMed Charitable Foundation, Oscar. He found some information. Uh, You can Google Caroline's Cart, but I thought it was pretty interesting. It's a cart. So picture you're going to the grocery store and you've got the kid in the little front part of the basket. Okay, now picture going to the grocery store with your older loved one and you've got... The wheelchair and the grocery cart, you're trying to get everybody through the grocery store, it's hard. If you have somebody who is larger than a child that needs to go grocery shopping, there's something called Caroline's Cart. And it is a combination of a place for an adult-sized person to sit in the shopping cart and not look strange. <laughs> you have to look at the pictures. I'm showing them to Ron as we speak. Um, and able to go around the grocery store without having a bunch of different stuff. So it was developed by a woman who had a, a child with disabilities, and then she found out when she had to take care of her mother that it worked great I like that to take her mother around the grocery store. Mom couldn't walk through the store, wasn't really able to drive one of those scooters. You know, there are right. plenty of us who are caring for someone with Alzheimer's. You don't want to put them on a scooter.
0: Almost got uh, run over by one of the produce aisle the other day.
1: That's right. So if you're a family person that's caring for a, a, a larger adult that you, know, you need to do errands and stuff in, check out Caroline's cart. I thought it looked interesting.
0: We're going to be talking with Jimmy Charles in just a couple of moments about a zero zero prostate cancer in this country. It, it is a identifiable, early on, treatable cancer, and a walk-run will take place in San Antonio September 19th. Jimmy Charles has been very active in that, and we'll talk to him about that in just a couple of moments right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Next up is another one of those great teases, Candy Brain.
1: Candy Brain. I actually got this from a New York Times article that you forwarded to me, Ron, that talked about, I thought this was... Funny, actually, um, it talks about how when we're stressed out, we make really bad food decisions. So, picture the woman whose boyfriend just jilted her, eating the ice cream out of this directly out of the bucket with the spoon. She's just spooning it in. Why, now she'll be eating Bluebell Belt pretty soon. Why is she doing this? So, an article published in Neuron magazine or journal um, actually recruited young men who had were healthy normal active lifestyles and divided them into two groups and what i loved is the way they stressed out the <laughs> control group the stressed out ones they put their hands in ice water Ooh. until they couldn't you know can stand it anymore if you've ever stuck your hand in snow for mm-hmm. those of you who lived in snowy regions you know what i'm talking it about hurts and burns well you know it It's it's not like the other experience we've read about where somebody gets shocked, (laughs) which is terrible when you do that to people. It's not good. It's not fun. Um, So putting their hands in ice water is just enough physiologically it stresses you out a little bit. So people that didn't have their hands in ice water, people that did have their hands in ice water, and then they look at pictures of food. And they pick which one they want to eat. One's a healthy choice and one is a non-healthy choice. Lo and behold, the ice-cold hand people picked the worst choices. They picked the candy. They picked the ice cream. They picked the sweet, sugary donuts. Donuts. Donuts, the pie, all of those things. And so what it shows is that as animals, which we are, we don't like to think of ourselves as animals. You know, this may be something that when we were cavemen and we grew up from animals, whatever, uh, You know, when we had a lot of stress in our lives, we had to comfort ourselves because we were facing saber-toothed tigers and lions and tigers and bears and other bad things. And so to comfort ourselves, we ate these sweet foods. We're still doing that today.
0: And we learned to run very fast. We
1: learned to run very fast. So if you have candy brain, it's not just you. It's all of us. All of us tend to want the sweet foods to comfort ourselves Recognize it. Don't keep anything sweet in the house, and you'll be just fine.
0: Where there's the key. Know it's happening.
1: Know it's happening. Recognize what you're doing. And then don't give yourself access. If you really can't resist those donuts, just don't keep them in the house.
0: Good advice, Carol Zernia. We're going to talk in just a moment uh, with a Nashville recording artist, former American Idol contestant, Jimmy Charles, joins us here on Caregiver SOS on air. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The answer. Woo! I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikoff, that's not by accident.
3: No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our Clinic home.
0: And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah,
3: I I really do try to, and and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases.
0: That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well.
3: We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call
0: 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL.
2: life I'm everything to my three kids I love her to my wife still run five miles when I get home play pickup at the Y so why's this doctor telling me should be scared for my life and I didn't want to come here I swear I man mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Song by Jimmy Charles, Superman, a song that was put together by him after he had an opportunity to connect with a prostate cancer patient at Chesapeake Urology. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS On Air. Nashville recording artist Jimmy Charles joins us now on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. Jimmy Charles, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. How are you guys? Thanks so much for having me. Well,
0: we're delighted to have you on, and uh, we want to salute you for the work you're doing that is so important in society today, and that's trying to raise awareness about prostate cancer, and man, you need to get checked.
2: You do. You do. And, uh, you know, so many people, um, I'm finding, now that I'm such a big part of this, uh, just have no idea, you know, how much uh, prostate cancers out there one in seven men uh, you know will get prostate cancer in their lifetime uh, a man in the just in the united states a man every 19 minutes dies from prostate cancer and um, I, I you know getting out there and educating people um, about this people are very surprised
0: well tell us know? how you got so interested and, and active you're not a physician it isn't something you studied in school but it's something that really touched you
2: Yes, um, well, I've I've lost family to uh, to cancer. I've lost uh, family friends to cancer. Uh, you know, my friends' parents. You know, and cancer is everywhere. So it's always been, you know, big focus for me. Um, I, I've I've done a lot of charity work over, you know, the uh, longevity of my career. And this one kind of started out. It just as me. Um, I'm good friends. I'm from the Eastern Shore of Maryland, and I went to college in Baltimore, and I. I played a lot of music in Baltimore before I moved to Nashville, and I became friends with a lot of the Chesapeake urology people that were following me for years, and they asked me, they said, would you mind coming and just, uh, you know, playing for one of our races where we have thousands of survivors and help us raise money? And I said, absolutely. I was like, I'll be there. You know, I'll volunteer and be there. So I made the trip from Nashville, and uh, but before I before I went, they called me back up and said, hey, is there any way that you could write a song that will bring awareness for men to get their prostates checked? And I'm like, okay, that's not an everyday, you know. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really try. rhyme,
1: get your prostate checked. It eh, sounds
2: tough. Yeah, so, um, But, you know, I started thinking about it. And I said, yeah, this, this really could be an opportunity for me to really uh, make a, an impact. Um, so I started, you know, studying it, and they sent me all this thing, all this information, and a gentleman by the name of um, – uh, Phil Scholko, who is the cancer survivor you spoke of, and he was a stage three Gleason 10, um, which anybody that knows, I mean, that how he pulled through this, Lord knows. It was a miracle. So he wasn't supposed to make it. He is cancer-free um, uh, and TSA of zero. I mean, he, he's, he's doing so great. He is a uh, mentor, and all he does now is he goes to people's bedsides that just find out that they might have cancer, and he... Um, gives them hope and i said i gotta talk to this guy you know not only has, has he gone through his own experience uh, of being faced with death i mean he he does this he, he's uh, all these other people's experiences that he's pushing through so we him in nashville the first time he's been there i take him down on music row we sit in a, in a writer's room there's lots of writers rooms on music row where people will meet and co-write together so thousands of hit songs uh, that you've heard on the radio over the years have been written in the same room, and it was a really cool experience for me to bring to him. Um, and we just listened to him talk. My myself and Goose Gossett, who is a guy um, I do a lot of writing with, uh, listened to him for an hour, and we just took notes. And um, you know, we really de- delve into what it's like for this experience, and then we told the told the story in the song, told his story, and and and. Um, we knew when we walked out of that room, we all looked at each other and said, "That's a hit song." Well, the that's, kicker that's, that's uh, of lives.
0: you know, the kicker that's uh, you're not a Superman. Did that come out of that conversation?
2: Um, out of
0: your conversation? You no, know,
2: that's something that we came up with. Uh, Phil had didn't mention that, but um, just the whole idea of you're not Superman is as, as men don't like to go to the doctor. You know they don't like to get checked, and they they feel unless there's a problem. But with prostate cancer, because it does not show any symptoms, that's a
0: silent killer.
2: You, know, you, you can feel strong like Superman, and, mm-hmm. and you've got a, a something deadly inside of you. So you've got to you got to take care of things. You've got to go to the doctor and and get things checked out. Um, you know, with prostate cancer and, and, and everything. So you know, early detection is key. And then you know, men suffer alone so much that you know they they don't vocalize what when they if they are um you know have to do the surgeries or the treatments they keep it all to themselves and sometimes they don't even tell their families um feel like they can deal with it by themselves okay i'll I'll deal with this by myself like superman but you're not and it's okay you know to, to to have help and you're not alone Don't take this thing on your your own. That's what the song says, you know?
1: Well, this is so important because in all fairness, you know, the breast cancer awareness and and the women that have been helped through, you know, Think Pink and all of that whole campaign has really um, just made a huge difference in, in the awareness and the treatment and... Women know exactly what to do uh, about preventing breast cancer or screening for breast cancer. And so prostate cancers kind of struggled there in the darkness for a while. Men have gotten short shrift
0: uh, in this case because they never talk about it.
1: because they never talk which is exactly what you're saying. There's so many reasons that prostate cancer has stayed in the background, and the zero run uh, and and prostate awareness and what you're doing, It's 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 important that this is talked about openly.
2: Yeah, it is very important. And, um, you know, dealing with these cancer patients and going to these um, to these races is really something that, that's become very special for me. And, um, you know, the first race that we were there, um, you know, I'm singing in front of thousands, these thousands of people. And then they're coming down, they're coming to thanking me and hugging me and, you know, telling me how I told their story and everything. And it's just, just like, wow, you know, and, and talking to them and trying to get an idea of what it's like you know, to be them and have to, to fight this battle. Um, so it's even more encouraging for me to go out there and, and try to prevent, you know, other people from having to go through this or, or at least, uh, get some early detection because it's, you know, it's extremely treatable in its early stages. And, uh, but you know, we, the The little catchphrase that I have now is don't wait till it's too late. Check your prostate, you know? Hey, you found Um, a rhyme. Excellent. Yeah, How about that?
0: (laughs) Now, somebody told me in in the notes I got on interviewing you that your father passed away while you were writing this song.
2: My father passed away while I was singing this song in the studio. He was only 67 years old. He's a baby. Um, And uh, that's another reason. You know this song means so much to me. Um, I didn't know it at the time, um, you know. But uh, he—I found out the next day that that's when he had passed, and I was I was in the studio all day that day, recording the song that is now going out and touching, you know, heck today probably millions of lives. Um, So you know, and
0: did he have another guy that just
2: did not like to go to the doctor and uh, and? Probably could have still been here if he had you know been a little bit more on top of those things. So
0: he had prostate cancer.
2: He did not. It, it's just everybody thinks that because kind of how right. this all has uh, come about. He had congestive heart failure and um, he died from some his, from heart problems right. but um, you know he still didn't get the proper care and he was the kind of guy that he, he didn't want to uh, he didn't want anybody to worry about him. But, you know, now he's not here anymore. You know, I'd rather be worried about him and have him here, right. you know, than... Uh, so it it goes along those same, same concepts. This song can touch people in a lot of different ways, you know. Any type, anybody that's had cancer, period, this song is for them. It doesn't even mention prostate cancer in the
0: song. No, I know, I know. You know?
2: So it's, it's everyone's battle. You know, I'm specifically uh, you know, working with and spokesperson for zero. So we focus on prostate cancer and, and that's a big one that just needs a voice. But, um, there's so many ways that this, this song touches people. And today, I don't know if they told you this, but it is the, um, we had, a, a an official music video that was just released today. And it is going viral through CMT.com. um, it's on there, and it is just blowing up. It is the top-trending uh, CMT video. It has almost 3,000 shares right now. 3,000 shares, not views. Shares. So that's how, that's how powerful, and the, and the video is, is absolutely amazing. Um, Tom Booten, a great actor, um, just really hit it home. You know, when you, you add a visual to this whole thing, um, it, it's really impactful. And you can just tell because as soon as that thing hit, man, it's like, phew. And my, I think I'm think lucky my phone still works because earlier today it, I thought it was going to explode. I was just getting so many notifications from social media and, and everything else. And right, like, stay um, with us just a minute.
0: Carol's got to say something, then we've got to take a,
1: yeah, you, a, a quick I just, moment I just for to say, announcements. I'm sorry we're on radio that we can't show the video. I would love to be able to do that, but we'll be right back.
0: And we're going to get right back to you as well. We're talking with Jimmy Charles, a Nashville recording artist. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. The <laughs> Answer. a great conversation with Nashville recording artist and former American Idol contestant Jimmy Charles. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerney. you hear us on 930 a.m. The Answer, Sundays at 6 p.m., and our shows are all available via podcast as well. Just go to caregiversos.org. So, Jimmy Charles, uh, the Zero Race here in San Antonio, the Zero Prostate Cancer Run Walk, is on September 19th in Mission County Park Pavilion. Are you coming out here for that?
2: Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. I've never been to San Antonio. Oh, well, this is the perfect so, place for I've you heard to come. So many great things about it. Um, are you guys going to show me around or what?
0: Well, I'm sure they'll arrange for someone to take you on a tour.
1: <laughs> so, but I, you know, here, I don't know if all the races do it, but he, um, Dr. Reina, Johnny, Johnny and Joni Reina, who head the Los Padres Foundation and work with the Zero Run here, head up the Zero Run here. Um, they have the Dash for Dads and all of the little kids um, who want to support their dads come out and do a race and they wear little Superman capes. Did you know that?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, this will be uh, my third race. Well, I, actually, I'm, I've done three races. As of right now, I have five just in September. Obviously, it's Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, so I am all over the place. I mean, just craziness, which is great. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's great to involve the kids um, and get them learning at a, at a younger age. And, uh, you know, it's something you can bring your children to, obviously, and you don't have to find a babysitter or, you know, worry about that. They can come, and they're not bored. They're actually doing the superhero dash and get to dress up. And I actually have... A logo that's a Superman symbol with a blue ribbon around it. it. says Team Live Today, and I have teams in every city where I go to. So if you guys want to join, if anybody out there wants to join my team, Team Live Today, um, you can go on my Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash Jimmy Charles Music, um, or find me on Jimmy dot com, and you can sign up. And um, we have fundraising, and we are going to. Um, you know maybe- we're probably going to do a, a little dinner and i'm I have a performance uh the night before race, and you know everybody will be in, invited to all that stuff as well so and you're gonna got, wow the logo I've got little uh waterless tattoos that's what I was getting at for the for the kids and oh, they cool. like it's, it's a little Superman so they put it on their faces or their arms or whatever and um you know they can show their support, so it's it's great. That
0: sounds like a lot of fun. And you're going to be singing uh, "Superman at the Run." Yes. Oh, cool.
2: Yep, I will. I will be there, and um, you know I'll, I'll not only be singing that song, but um, you know I'll be interacting with with all of the survivors and you know anyone else. I'll have my own autograph booth and people can come up and talk to me and and all that good stuff
0: so as long as we have you here it would be uh probably short-sighted on our part not to ask you a bit about American Idol what was that like
2: that was probably the uh, most exciting scary thing I've ever done <laughs> if you if you can imagine um you know it's it's a whole lot of Hurry up and wait, and then all of a sudden you're rushed into these uh, situations where, um, you know, you're just in front of, a, you're just in a surreal set, setting, you know. And uh, this was um, some time ago, and um, going, I'll tell you, getting on that bus, when I flew into L.A., the bus that takes you to, um, they've got like a fake name of a business, um, it was some kind of air, hot air balloon ride person who was holding a sign for huh. hot air balloon rides and you know because they can't obviously hold a, a sign that says hey American, American Idol because you know? right. everybody would come over and, and see who the it would spoil who the new contestants were going to be but we got on that bus and you know even though these people you're going to be competing against it's just like there's such an energy because it's the most exciting you know thing in the world um, you're, you're getting ready to be in the biggest. Or what used to be anyway, the the biggest singing competition uh, in the world, and it's it's so exciting. I make some I made some friends that I still keep in touch with today, and um, you know it was heartbreaking um, leaving, but you know everything happens for a reason, and um, you know now I, I I found a new calling and in this and with uh, some of my other music, and you know heck I've got a I've got a music video that's number one trending on CMT right now, so I'm really excited about that.
0: As you take a look at that experience, uh, whether you win or not, many of the folks like you who go through it and don't win the big prize do very well in their careers.
2: Yeah, no, it's a great boost. It brought a lot of attention um, to what I was already doing and let people know that I was out here, so I got a lot of people that uh, still followed me from... From there and mm-hmm. even though it was years ago, man, they you know they'll sit there and they'll they'll watch your career, they'll support you, they'll share your things, and um, you know it, it can it definitely gives you you know a nice little boost. And um, it was it was definitely ex- an experience that I'll never forget. It was Ellen DeGeneres's year when she was there. And she, she was, was such cool. a great. She
1: was such a great judge. She
2: is. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. There's a couple of funniest things that happened. Now, you have to go through a, a, a pretty crazy audition process. You know, everybody thinks you just go see those those judges, and that's not how it happens at all. you got to go through f- four auditions before you even get there. You know, it went from 9,000 to, like, 300 people right off the bat, and then those 300 went down to, like, 200, and then it went down to 100, and then they take... 20 people out of that city. So out of my city in Denver, Colorado, was where I auditioned. Um, I was in the. I was 20 out of 9,000 people who auditioned. There was 110,000 people who auditioned all wow. across the country. Yeah. But when I finally got to the to the celebrity judges, it always seemed like they they took a break right as I was <laughs> moving down the line and it was going to be the next. And I was sitting in that chair that's right by the. The uh, the doors, the double doors that you always see them come running out of, and right. finally got here. And Ryan Seacrest is there, and uh, um, so they take a break. I'm like, great, you know, because my heart's just racing, and I was like, I just want to get it over with, you know. So I go in, I go into the bathroom, and I pick up a, a bunch of paper towels, and because uh, I want to keep my vocals warm, I want to make sure I'm getting ready to hit this this note and staying loose. And um, I am belting out this note into into these paper towels as loud as I can. It in like right behind me comes Simon Cow. Oh. and I am being, I am full in the mirror with a bunch of paper towels, you know, hitting the you know, trying to cover my you know, trying to muffle the sound as much as possible with these paper towels. And he just looks at me and smiles and kind of laughs and, and goes, and I I like. Stop! like half belt, because I felt so <laughs> stupid. I was just like, oh my gosh, and I just threw it away and left.
1: Well, at least you he heard that good yeah. note there in the, I'm sure it had good acoustics in the men's room.
2: A lot of echo. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, did, so having with, the camera... the muffled
2: paper towel sound, too, I don't know. So
1: having the camera know. follow you around for all that recording, did that prepare you for the career, your career now, you know, being in the spotlight?
2: Sure. Um, you know, with anything, the more you do it, the more relaxed you're going to be, and the better you're going to be. You know, um, I've grown a hundred times as an artist since American Idol, or since I moved to Nashville. You know, uh, Nashville will teach you so much about music. You, not only do I write with with great writers who teach you, you know, how to perfect your your art as far as a writer, but performing so much and seeing others. I mean, this is this is the All Stars out here. You know, these, these are the best. Musicians, performers, singers, writers, producers, you know, in the world are, are, are saturated in this town. So you either got to get better or you, you should probably get out. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I decided I got better and I, I watched and I performed, and, you know, playing shows, you know, uh, five, six shows a week and some sometimes two. I've even done three in a day you know, where I've sang for 12 hours, which is insane. How do you keep your voice down? I was going to
0: say, yeah, what
1: paper towels do you use to do that?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think that's more whiskey than anything. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a long day. And uh, it, 12, I don't like doing, I really don't like doing that. But if you learn, if you know how to sing and you learn how to sing, then, uh, you know, I took some great vocal lessons by Jessica Ford, who uh, is a great vocal coach. Um, and, you, you know, if you if you sing properly, it's actually better for you to sing than it is to um, to actually talk. If I had been just speaking hmm. for 12 hours, that would have been worse on my voice than, than singing. So you just got to be careful. And I, you know, I don't like doing the 12. I definitely don't do them anymore, but um, it'll 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 teach. You. And, and my voice has changed because of that, you know. Singing so much, it's it's much more textured. You know, I, can, I hear my recordings from, you know, when I went to American Idol compared to where they are now, and it's just it's a lot better. So it's fun to grow as an artist, and you never want to stop growing and getting better as an artist.
0: You know, you got to wish. Uh, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but uh, the folks who uh, produce American Idol uh, had a cash cow, and they keep trying to milk it. I think it would have been nice, just like an athlete, if they if they quit before. Uh, they reached the end of the line. They should have stopped it a few years ago, don't you think?
2: I think so. I, I've seen it, and, um, you know, I don't really like making negative comments, but I, I just – I don't watch it anymore. I can't watch it. There's some things in there that just um, have embarrassed me a little bit. Just from It just seems like it has it gone downhill, and – uh you know, not to take anything away from those those people out there. I know what they're going through. You know the contestants for the past sure. seasons, but um, you know, and I, I love Keith Urban and uh, and all that. But um, yeah, you're right. You know, I think once Simon left, um, as interesting as as, as he is, <laughs> uh, you know, he was fun to watch because you know, even though he was right. he was mean and brutally honest, but that's what people. You know, yeah, well, the brutally honest part. Yeah, every, part works, and everybody's nice. It's like, okay, yeah. He, he left because, because you weren't on the compliment show, and you compliment anymore. when everybody's getting complimented, <laughs> right?
0: Hey, listen, we got about a minute left before we leave you, Jimmy Charles. Come back to uh, the purpose for the Zero Prostate Cancer Run. What is that all about?
2: Um, well, the run is to raise money for Zero Cancer, which uh, is nationwide. And um, uh, you know, raises a ton of money for cancer research, free checkups. Um, you know, I, I I watch and I see the developments that come along with the research, um, and just they just do a great job with uh, and treatment as well. You know, they some people they can't afford treatment and things like that, and they also provide uh, you know community, a community where people can come together. You know, um, even though my father didn't die of prostate cancer, I still had, you know, one of the the zero um, yard signs out in, in the D.C. race I did, where people run by and you can see everybody's name. So you can run for someone if you lost someone. You got to be active. You know, I, I especially know that losing my dad. Mm-hmm. You got to stay active and do things in a positive light to remember them. That's the way they can do it. They can console each other, and it creates a great community as well as uh, finding research and helping the. Put an end to prostate cancer and, and save some lives. So we are got to stop
0: you, you right there.
1: So if you want more information about the Zero Run, you can go to zerocancer.org. And you want to find out about Jimmy Charles in San Antonio, check out Zero Prostate Cancer Run Walk here in San Antonio.
0: Enjoy your visit to San Antonio. We appreciate I you.
2: will do that. We'll see uh, you there. See you guys. Check out Superman for me, jimmycharlesmusic.com.
0: Appreciate you coming I out. Take out care. That, that video. Bye-bye. Jimmy Charles, Nashville artist, and uh, we're pleased to have him on talking about the Zero Cancer Walk Run for Prostate Cancer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Up next, Take 10, with Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol, and moi. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikoff. That's not by accident.
3: No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home.
0: And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time My WellMed physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients.
3: Yeah, I I really do try to, and and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases.
0: That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well.
3: We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want
0: information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. Not that all of our Caregiver SOS shows aren't fun and exciting. They are, but the kicker to each show, Take 10, is even more so. And each show ends with a topic and a discussion with Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist, expert on caregiving and addictions, and Carol Zerniel, our co-host here on Caregiver SOS On Air. And Carol, you've got a very interesting topic for this week.
1: Well, the, the topic this week, I, I mentioned before the show that a friend of mine was been caring for her husband for the last couple of years. Uh, he had cancer and he did pass away this week. Uh, and I was thinking about all of the caregiving work that she did uh, the last couple of years uh, and wondering about caring for someone who is terminal, who's dying, uh, versus caring for someone uh, who maybe has a chronic condition, maybe very severe arthritis, maybe, um, you know, is disabled, quadriplegic, paraplegics, had a stroke. You know, but But somebody that has a disease that you know is going to pass away, ultimately, is there, Jamie is there an additional skill set that we need when we're dealing with someone who is terminal? Is it, is it vastly different? Is it not that different? What would someone when they've gotten that cancer diagnosis want to have with them in In term on this toolbox for their caregiving journey?
4: Well, I'm a bit biased, but I think that's the beauty of these conversations that you Ron and I have is to kick around ideas. But my belief system is that chronic conditions like high blood pressure or diabetes or arthritis are a lifetime anyway, And something is going to get you, right? And And therefore, when dealing with like a um, a chronic illness, if you will, I know that we we see a likely end in sight that's that has maybe more of a hopeful ending, right? That's what we're trying to say. But at the end of the day, the, the, the caregiver burden which is something we talked about last week is, is going to be similar that if you're not able to provide care for yourself at the during the time taking care of a chronic illness or a terminal illness it's going to affect not just yourself but the person that you're with
1: well one of the things that i noticed in speaking with my friend is that she had had conversation for what happens after he passes so when the caregiving is done and so i don't and maybe that's a bonus that they were actually thinking about that. I think a lot of caregivers, when you're not expecting someone to pass away, you've been taking care of them. They thought maybe they have COPD or congestive heart failure. Um, and and it's it's a little bit of a surprise versus someone you're expecting. So she had the opportunity as a family to talk about what happens next when when her caregiving is finished.
4: I love what you're saying. And it's fascinating in America, why we have to be really compelled to have that conversation only when we know that it's a terminal illness, right? Um, the more I speak about the five wishes, with, you know, of advanced directives to to families, to, to people over 18 years old, the, the more I know that this conversation needs to be happening whether we have a chronic or terminal illness. There's no question that this terminal illness, of, and again, I'm very sorry for your friend's passing. I I had a friend pass from melanoma as well, and and it's a very, very tough, tough course. But the fact is that you're right. They have an opportunity to talk, to put some closure, to to be able to to allow the caregiver and caree to share. And I do think that in terms of complicated grief reactions, which we can get into in in a minute, that when you do have these conversations and when you have – this peace, if you will, if there can be found peace, that you know what the other person is thinking and what to do at the end, it does allow better closure and better boundaries.
1: There was an interesting article in the New York Times recently, uh, Sunday, New York Times that where a woman was talking about the loss of her sister and how she was very in the moment. When she was with her sister, uh, she said her sister became, as she was dying, she became more like herself, which we say that about the elderly anyway. As you age, you become more like yourself. Um, and But she, in, in that moment when she was with her sister, she took, was trying to take the time to to really absorb and, and focus on all of the positive things when and the normal things, you know, sibling rivalry and, you know, taking jabs at each other, things that they had done all their life. Um, but when she left and when she walked out of that room, you know, she was just overcome with this grief and this sense of loss and that, you know, her sister was the only person in the world who was her champion that was left.
4: Yes, no doubt. And, you know, as I work with seniors and, and not just in psychological issues in therapy, but even on on addictions, especially, you know, dealing with these grief reactions that you're describing are are really the key to whether we live a healthy life or we become bogged down and stuck. Um, I do believe we should always plan for end-of-life decisions, whether we're dealing with a terminal illness or a chronic illness. And the the beauty of your friend's conversation and knowing that they, they could have this talk was it they were forced into it? But as a culture, one of the beauties of mindfulness, if you will, is is getting in touch, you know, with with the entire specter of life. Not seeing death as if it's a negative thing, but as part of life.
0: He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. You're listening to Take Ten on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Uh, you know, Carol and and Jamie. My mother uh, was caring for my dad. He had dementia. Uh, never fully diagnosed as Alzheimer's, probably was, but it doesn't matter. Uh, but he died suddenly. He, he was in very good health and had a, a brain embolism and dropped dead in their bedroom one day, uh, which was a total shock to her, uh, and it affected her in, in, in a number of ways. One was suddenly she had this big hole in her life. Her days were taken fully caring for my dad, and then she had nothing to do.
1: Well and and I think that's really important and, and you know we were talking about that just a little bit hinting that even you know any caregiver any caregiver that is just giving their all into this caregiving realm or has to do you know 24/7 Jamie you've talked about post caregiving so that we would encourage all caregivers to envision a life for themselves beyond caregiving. It's kind of like empty nest when your kids grow up and they leave and go off to school. Then what are you going to
4: do?
0: Well, they celebrated and they did okay with that when my brother Jimmy and I left. But when my dad died, she hadn't thought about it. She hadn't planned for it.
4: You know, the complication is this, and we all know cases where somebody passes away and then six months later a loved one will pass away as well. Very common. Because they're not re-engaged back. First of all, the thing we're talking about is complicated grief, where a caregiver loses not just their loved one, who is deep emotionally complex in terms of of that loss, but they also lose their full-time job. And then so they feel their self-esteem is devalued, they feel isolated, they feel like they don't have self-worth, and really they go back out. And literally, it's not long before they find their passing. That's why it's so critical in that time, after they've grieved appropriately, to keep your arms around them and reconnect them back. And I think what you do at Caregiver SOS, Carol, what we do at WellMed, uh, there is exactly the perfect opportunity.
1: Well, it, it is important to, you know, we talked about grief in someone who's dying, but uh, you can have grief along the way. You may be grieving. It may not be a terminal illness, but you may be grieving for a person who's functional, they're, functionally they're not the same. Emotionally, they're not the same. Uh, you know, psych, psychologically, they're not the same. They're, we may, we grieve along the way. It's not a simple one-time process at death.
4: I cannot tell you how important what you just said is, and to your listening audience, I would say this. This is all the more reason why you need a therapist in this process, because this grief is very private, very unique, and very intimate, just like your your description of the two sisters. And I think if you can see a therapist once every couple of weeks and bring that grief to the therapist and process it there and leave it there, like we talked about caregiver burden last week... I can tell you that you're going to come back and have strong boundaries and, and good self-care strategies.
1: Well, and it's so nice to have a therapist is a is a wonderful place where you are 100% yourself and that therapist is 100% in your corner. So you can say things that you maybe your friends and family might think are inappropriate. Um, you know, because sometimes we wish somebody whose terminal was, we wish the journey was over. We wish we were done. We just can't do this anymore. And we can say that. We wouldn't, might feel embarrassed to say that to anybody else. But a therapist, you can get all of those emotions, the good and the bad, out.
4: How do you I find really, one? Part, uh, well, find one? A, number one, you can find it. Tell your listening audience, go to their, obviously, insurance plan. I'm sure WellMed has a group of providers. But if you want to work backwards, Go to Psychology Today, where I blog, put your zip code in, in the website, and watch the therapist appear on your screen, and then look at what insurance they take. But they will tell you on the screen, as they give their overview, of whether they work with senior issues, whether they work with caregiver issues, or grief issues. So there should be really no excuse, and, and most of them will take Medicare, and, and I, I'd have a therapist as a, as a necessary tool in any caregiving experience.
0: Well, you get the last word as a therapist, Carol? I would
1: say Jamie's right on. A therapist um, is a great, great asset to have.
0: Thank you. And thanks for listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel, and me, Ron Aaron. We come to you on 930 AM. The Answer, you hear us Sundays at 6 in the afternoon. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930
4: AM, The Answer.